Hey there. Welcome to Coffee with the Docs. We are a holistic lifestyle podcast where we give integrative solutions and bring brilliant experts to help you thrive. Mind, body, and spirit. We are doctors Nicole Huffman and Abby Kramer, and we're so happy you're here. Hey everyone, welcome to Coffee with the Docs. Today's episode is all about functional genomics, which is like a massive topic. And I still feel like, I still feel like it's fairly new when we're looking at genetics and trying to see how we can improve our health, how it is a possibility. Um, You can use your genetics to look at, you know, something that you might want to prevent in the future, et cetera. We had the privilege to be speaking with the DNA company's um, CEO, Kashif Khan, and he is just a total wealth of knowledge. And I feel like he takes what is a pretty complex subject and breaks it down into really easily digestible information. Yeah. And I love this episode. We've um, featured the DNA company before, and they're one of our sponsors. Um we love working with them, have used the tests for ourselves and our patients. And functional genomics is just a really great kind of additional tool. If you haven't gone down that rabbit hole for yourself or your family's health, it's amazing to see, you know, I always tell patients genetics are like the blueprint for what can potentially happen in your body. And what's cool is you do this test once and get that really, really functional look at like how your body can detox propensity for like hormonal conditions or certain cancers. And so then you can learn how to prevent that and what kind of like lifestyle decisions would be the best for you. Yeah. And I think that for some people it can be really daunting and kind of scary. Like what if it tells me like I have the propensity to this disease or this cancer or something. And first off, like most cancers are not genetic Um, and second off, like it's not to look at it in a way of like, this is my fate. It's more like, oh, you have maybe like a propensity to having really slow detoxification. So you can supplement with X, Y, and Z kind of give yourself a boost. I mean, for me, when I first did this, it was really eye-opening for my hormones. Actually, we had always thought based on all my symptoms that I was super estrogen dominant. And it turned out that actually I make a ton of testosterone, which is really fascinating. And I'm more cortisol dominant. And it really changed the way I supplemented and treated my hormones. And that was like really eye opening. And we also found out that I couldn't do glutathione as a supplement, which is something that I recommend to a ton of patients because I was actually missing the GST genes. Like I literally just don't even have them. So it made a lot of sense as to like why my detox pathways were slow and why every time I injected glutathione, I felt like crap. And so I felt like it was really empowering information, not like scary, if that made sense. Yeah. 100%. It's another tool. And like you said, you can have the best of intentions, be taking amazing quality products, be doing like all the right things in your mind. And this is just additional information to help, you know, it be that much more effective. So highly recommend doing one of their tests if you haven't, and they are one of our partners, like we said, so check the show notes. We have a special link where you can order the tests and you get $50 off if you use our link. Yeah. Which is a great discount. And yeah, you do the test one time. I mean, your genetics don't change. You just have the ability to influence them. So, um, it's definitely some great information. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. And as always, if you did, please share it with somebody that you think might also find it fascinating and please give us a five-star review. That would be lovely. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to Coffee with the Docs. I am thrilled today to be doing 
another, I shouldn't say another, cause it's been a really long time since we've done <laughs> any episodes. Yeah. On DNA and genetics and stuff, but um, we're going to dive into it today because we absolutely love the DNA company and their report and all the things that it can really teach you about your health. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Oh, it's a pleasure. And it's an honor too. And happy that you're bringing this to your audience and educating them. It's great. Yeah, absolutely. It's a definitely an important piece of health. So I'm just going to have you introduce yourself to our audience. Sure. So Kashif Khan, my name. Uh, grew up on the west coast of Vancouver, uh, Canada, I should say. I was being a little too specific there. Uh, I'm now in Toronto. And I, you know, sort of stumbled on this journey because of my own personal health issues. So, uh, and that's how I met Mansoor, who we were talk, chatting about earlier. Um, you know, conventional medicine kind of failed me. And so I had to go down the functional route, which is where you end up when you're taking too many pills and too many medications and doctors, et cetera. Mm -hmm. So the, the main answer I couldn't get was why am I sick? Yeah. You know, what is, what it doesn't make sense that all of a sudden I have eczema and psoriasis, uh, you know, migraines, uh, gut issues, depression, even all at the same time. Oh, brutal. Right. And never before. Why now? And, and the why was discovered through my genome, which is what pushed me in this direction. And I literally, you know, walked away from what I was doing to, to build the DNA company because it was me, then my cousins and my family and my mother, like everybody started doing better, my friends, you know, uh, and it's just something that I had to sort of bring to the world. I mean, I love it. I feel like so many of us get into more like, you know, I'm a naturopathic doctor only because of my own experiences and my yeah. own sort of not having to find your own answers, which is great to be an advocate for yourself. But I also think there's so many people out there who are like, I don't even know where to start looking. And that's why it's so helpful that this has been something that you have developed and it can be just such a wealth of knowledge for people. Yeah, and it's, it's funny because uh, in that journey to knowledge, right, I was told that there's nothing genetic about what we're dealing with here. These are all mm. chronic illnesses that happen when you get older. Uh, and I, I was I was barking up the wrong tree. So at the same time, it did not make sense to me whatsoever that at the age of 38, I'm 42 now, that oh, actually I just turned 43, <laughs> all this stuff. Yeah, it's just all hit me all at once. And so what I learned was that, yeah, it's true. Eczema is not a genetic condition. Migraines are not a genetic condition, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But the reason that I had them all happen to me were based on my human genome. What was going on? There's certain genes that regulate your glutathione pathway, your ability to deal with toxins free flowing in your bloodstream, causing inflammatory insult head to toe. Uh, there's these little traffic cops that are meant to capture them, send them to your liver, get rid of them for you. Just like when you drink your wine, you know, your liver helps you get rid of the, the nonsense. It's true for everything else too. Mold, chemicals, pesticides, everything. Right. Yeah. So forget about what version, you know, or what variant words that you hear about genes. If you're, if your human genome is your human instruction manual, which tells all your cells what to do. I had some pages entirely missing. So literally I didn't have the gene gone, right, right. never got it. And so this process of, you know, getting rid of these chemicals, clearing them. So I don't have inflammatory issues. I'm not doing it. So what happened? I'm sitting in office, breathing in all this pollution from the air vents because there was a manufacturing company on the ground floor, mm. pumping the air vents full of nonsense. Right. Um, and you wonder why just me, my business partner used to drive me home, right? I would get a migraine crash, vomit, he would take Oof. me in the car and drive me home. So why me and not him? It's, it's not a genetic condition, but it is a genetic condition. The genetic condition is I cannot detoxify environmental insults. I cannot detoxify things that enter through my gut. I get inflamed a lot easier and I can't fight the inflammation. And what does that lead to? All these inflammatory conditions, migraines, eczema, psoriasis being autoimmune, body got pushed a little too hard, depression. I had neurological inflammation. My gut was inflamed. So they were all based on a genetic flaw. Last thing I'll say about this is none of that triggered until I had the wrong environment exposure. Mm. Because my susceptibility, my propensity, my bad genetic wiring 
didn't equal a disease. It equaled my inability to cope with this environmental exposure, which could have also been a nutrition exposure or a lifestyle exposure. You need the combination and then you're either healthy or you're sick. And the, the beauty of all of what I discovered is you can now know what choices to make for yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think generally people know kind of if they're a slow detoxifier or not. Right. Like, I mean, I, I felt like I always understood that, like, you know, when I was in my twenties, I'd be like, why do I feel like so terrible from like two glasses of wine and my friends feel fine. Right. Like you're kind of like using these weird examples that you, and then as you get older, there's other things where you're finding out like, yeah, it's don't detoxify as fast. And one of the things I learned from your test is that I also didn't have the GST, uh, like there was oh, wow. gone. And I used to um, inject myself with glutathione all the yeah. time. And I would wonder why I would feel so terrible. And yeah. so I was like, well, I must be really detoxifying right now. Right. And it's <laughs> Take more. Yeah, exactly. And I did. And I did. And one time I think I pushed three grams and I felt awful. And yeah. And then it made sense when I was able to look at my genetics, like, oh boy, like no wonder I'm a slow detoxifier and have trouble with that, but also really can't use glutathione like that. So, you know, working with some of the precursors. And to me, that was like a huge um, aha moment, right? Because we're taught as naturopathic doctors, like glutathione for everyone. It's so good. It's such a healthy molecule. And it's like, there's a lot of the population that probably doesn't do that great with it straight. I, it, it knocked me out too. I couldn't get out of bed because of glutathione. The thing that actually was missing wasn't actually the answer. Right. Because my body doesn't know how to use that thing. Right. I, I'm missing the genetic instructions. So like you said, keyword precursors, there's other things that just get to work. Right. Exactly. Um, so and I, I can't tell you how, so yes, everyone knows that, oh, I don't drink. I feel like this, or I do drink. I feel like this, but a lot of people think of those things in silos, you know, and they don't associate them with what that means at the core, like the system failure, as opposed to just, I can't drink or I can drink. Right. Um, and it extends from, I can't drink also means I'm going to go ex- get eczema. If I work, live in a, you know, office that has mold, for example, right. Yep. Um, though it's all these gray areas and one size fits all just doesn't work. Right. Why is everybody so sick? That's why. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it's so true that the environment is usually what ends up sort of being like the flashlight on whatever crappy genetics you have. Right. It's just like, oh, you know, one person does fine in this environment. The other person doesn't. And just like, it can expose so many of the snips that you have or what isn't working the way that you'd love it to, right? Or what you need to support rather probably is better how to say it. For sure. Uh, yeah, I would say environmental health is the number one thing that moves the needle, but is the least understood or looked at. That's very true. Yeah, Absolutely. In today's current climate, right? And I would say just to kind of shift gears a little bit, like a lot of my patients are, you know, the first thing they'll say is like, oh, and I have that MTFHR, you know, and I'm like the your yeah. MTHFR and they're like that. And it, I don't do, you know, I don't have it. And so I, and one of the things I learned from Monsoor lecturing, gosh, this was, um, I went to, I think it was Vancouver. There was a conference he was lecturing at and, um, he was the first person I had ever heard say, just because that gene has a snip in it or, you know, an alteration. Um, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you start taking all this methylated stuff because oftentimes you can actually over methylate processes and then you're causing other problems that you didn't have before. And I remember just being like, no one is talking about this. Like most people look at their genetic code. They see that their MTHFR has a snip and they're immediately taking tons of methylated B12. Every prenatal now has like tons of methylated B12. And I remember when I, I mean, at the end of that lecture, I was like, here's my spit, like, let's do this. (laughs) And I remember at my consult, he was like, you can handle methyl B12, maybe a couple times a week, I would do a Denisel B12 instead. And you really shouldn't be doing a lot of methyl. I mean, I was just totally mind blown by this because I don't think 
we're looking at most people, I should say, aren't looking at the full methylation cycle. They're yeah. just zeroed in on this one gene that's getting all of this like celebrity attention, right? Yeah, that's what you just described is it's not only in methylation, but in general, the way we understand our genome and why I was told that none of these things are genetic, that's what's broken. Genetics is what does this gene mean, right? Here's your list of genes with the result of what version of that gene you have and a little blurb about what that might mean. The body doesn't work like that. Right. It's not a bunch of, there's 22,000 independent processes, which is how many genes you have. There's right. systems and pathways that we already understand, but we don't marry that knowledge with what genes drive each step. There's, and methylation is a perfect example of that. It's not a gene doing a job. It's a baton pass from the methylation of whatever you're methylating in your body is a, a multiple steps for which there's literally a baton pass. I did my job. I pass it on. I did my job. I pass it on and so on and so on until at the very end, something called COMP, which a lot of women hear about in terms of their hormones also is the tail end of methylation, right? I brought the garbage to the door. Someone's got to open the door and get it out. That's COMP. Right, right. So even in that one nuance, forget about all the six or seven methylation genes. Even if you just don't understand clumped, you could have great methylation, but a closed door mm. and nowhere for things to go and not understanding why do I not feel right, right? So in that, all we're saying is opposed to just MTHFR and why just MTHFR? Genetics is powered by research. Research is powered typically by pharma and pharma is typically looking for a solution to a problem. If I can turn that switch on or off, I just found something, right? And, and that's why you get these one size fits all trial and error, seven out of 10 type responses, because that might be true for seven out of 10 people. But for the other three or four that had the bad MTHFR, they might've had great everything else, mm. right? Or the vice versa. You could have the, the best MTHFR and the worst everything else, and you're still not methylating properly. And then what, what ends up happening if you do spread it out and look at the full cascade, you know exactly where to intervene and with what. Methylation doesn't mean give me methyl B12. It could mean I need some folinic acid. There's a gene called SHMT1, which is sort of upstream of MTHFR. If you're not doing well there, it's the difference between folate and folinic acid, right? Or downstream, do I need sublingual or in the stomach? Mm. That's another consideration you have to make or like you said, methylcobalamin or adenosyl. It's very easy. And you know, if you look at this map to figure out what parts are not working and then intervene with precision right. for yourself, as opposed to this siloed MTHFR, which is kind of 60% of the story. Yeah. Right. But 95% of the publications out there talking about this. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right? So that's why, oh, published data says this, so I'm going to do this. But it, it, you really got to understand a little deeper. So, and this is true for all systems, hormone, brain, metabolic pathways, the gene sort of factoids we get of this gene means this, now go do this without mm -hmm. considering here's the way the body actually works. And there's three, four more steps we got to look at. That's why genetics has been kind of underwhelming. But the good news is people like yourself now understand how to apply that pathway interpretation and bring it more to certainty as opposed to the probability-based genetics. Right. Right. Exactly. And I think that's so true is like, again, sometimes in medicine or in research or whatever, we're like zeroing in on this one thing. And it's so much, especially in holistic medicine, we're always looking at the body as a whole. So why would we yeah. not be doing that with genetics too, of just like, take that bird's eye view, exactly how do all these things work together? And that COMPT gene, I mean, it's, it, that one seems like it's a pretty popular one, I guess, to also have yeah. like SNPs and stuff too. So yeah, um, and, and, and isolated meaning, like most people talk mm -hmm. about COMPT in the context of hormones. Yeah. Right. Just because a lot of problems that women face happen to be hormones in the research that we do the number one underserved area in healthcare is female hormone health. It's an absolute disaster. And it starts from the, it starts from the sort of belief that women are supposed to have hormone problems. It, Isn't that's that the, norm. the truth? Totally. <laughs> yeah. yeah so if you start there, then you're not going to do much to sort of research and fix it. Right. 
So um, anyway, so having said that, COMPT, yes, deals with the clearance of hormones. Yes, it also is a tail end of methylation. It also deals with neurochemicals of the brain. You know, I, I can't just tell you that you uh, bind dopamine well or not to determine how well you experience pleasure. How long does it last? Mm. Right? So if I tell you, you don't bind dopamine well, which means it's a little harder for you to experience pleasure, you may be a little more reward seeking. You're near, you're mm -hmm. looking for more pleasure and entertainment and reward. But if I also tell you, you have an ultra comp, uh, so ultra fast comp, sorry, which mm -hmm. means it also lasts that long and it's gone. Right. You are, you're like a prime addiction candidate. Right. Because not only did you seek more, but it didn't feel good enough. You need another one and another one and another one. So that again, interplay of multiple genes and understanding the pathway makes the picture much more clear. Yep. I like that um, explanation too, because I think the majority of people don't really understand the root of their addiction issue, or even yeah. just like something must be wrong with me. I don't have willpower. I don't, you know, I, I can't, I just can't quit this thing or whatever it is. And so yes. I think being able to look at it from a genetic standpoint and being like, you can support that pathway is like such yeah. an empowering thing too. Yep. Absolutely. And knowing that addiction isn't one thing. Right. You think of dependence or abuse of a substance or maybe even something beneficial it could be work as addiction. What actually is happening? What I just described is one version right. that I'm reward seeking. I don't get enough satisfaction. So I, de I desire more. Mm -hmm. It also doesn't last long enough. So I need to get back to it quicker. Right. So that's one. The flip opposite could also be true. You could be a maximum binder of dopamine and experience it at a very high degree and have a very slow comp, which means it's very easy for you to experience pleasure. And it lasts a very long time. So you would think that that's not an addict, but mm -hmm. what does this person do? They end up binging, mm. which is a different form of abuse. They're right. not addicted, meaning that I need to have it on day every time where I get frustrated. It's like, I don't need to, but the day I find that episode of Netflix that I like, I, it's like six or seven episodes, not one, yeah. right? Because yeah. I get stuck. I binge. Right. right? And, and we actually find that there's so many more people that battle with addiction that are in this bucket mm. that don't get healed because all the tools are designed for the other bucket. Oh, fascinating. Yeah. That and makes so much with, sense. Yeah. Even within our own team, by the way, we had somebody who had this exact profile that I was telling you about that we would have our team meetings they'd get their marching orders, they'd walk out the room and they'd instantly be doing something completely different, thinking that they actually <laughs> did their work. Right. Because it's so easy for them to experience pleasure and reward that they're just constantly satisfied. Oh my gosh. Right. But then they would have to go find something that actually gives them that sense of reward. And then they get lost in it because their comp is so slow. They can't get out of it. Right. And because of that, they never got their work done. Your team meetings must be really fascinating. <laughs> you see somebody acting like that. And you're like, all right, just come over to the supplement department. We're going to need to support this pathway. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's excellent. Um, let's back up a minute to hormones. So one of the, and I, I would assume it's still in your report, but I, I don't know that I've seen your latest one because you guys have done a lot of changing in the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I found super fascinating was the, all the little stoplights with like the estrogen and progesterone and androgen pathways. Yeah. So all my life, I thought I was an estrogen dominant person. I was like, I've got all these signs and symptoms. And I, I do work a ton in female hormones um, also because of my own journey. Right. And, and I was like, oh, this is this, you know, I'm, this is the picture. Most of the functional docs I worked with thought I was an estrogen dominant person. Well, we do my genetics. It turns out I'm an androgen dominant person. And I just right. also have a cortisol problem. And <laughs> I was, I was just floored. I was like my whole life. I've been like doing all yeah. this dim and all of these things and treating it this way when really um, and then if, once you see that picture, you're kind of like, okay, well I do build and retain muscle really easily. Right. Like there's all these different things yeah. that kind of started making sense, but it was, it was pretty much a game changer for me. And, yeah. um, it took us a little bit longer than I think we had anticipated to get pregnant. Now I'm 31 weeks pregnant. So yay. But, wow. um, 
a lot of the things that let's say we would normally use like high dose DHEA, like made me feel awful. And so it was cool to be able to look at some of those pathways and be like, all these interventions I had been trying in the holistic space, you know, just they weren't, they weren't working. And oh, this is why, because I'm really set up to really make hormones more this direction. And so I just thought that piece was invaluable. And I've had so many women do it since, because I think it's really shown a lot of light on how to support the hormonal pathways, because you're right, women, so many women struggle with their hormones but a lot of it is we're just taught that that's just the way that it is. Like you're just going to have painful periods. You're probably going to have like weird hair growing out of your chin. You're going to have this, you're going to have that. And it's like, that might be common, but that's not what's healthy. And there's so much we can do to shift that. And have you guys seen a lot of like helpful results and cool, um, like stories and stuff from women? Oh yeah. So many. Uh, the that's I would say the majority of what we do is that still today um, cool. because it's so underserved and because the answers are gray and because there's so much pain and problems and in what you just described in your journey is the exact same thing that I said about addiction is we look at the pain point it feels like this and then we put a label on it, it looks like estrogen dominance let's go treat it as opposed to acting with precision that you know abusing substances feeling this way doesn't mean you're an addict, doesn't mean you're estrogen dominant. That's a symptom. Yep. And if you're only ever masking a symptom, you haven't even figured out what's wrong yet. Right. Right. All you do, the, the check mark of success medically is that you stop complaining. <laughs> that doesn't, yep. that doesn't mean that you fixed anything because the right. underlying inflammation or root cause is still there and it's going to pop up somewhere else, which is what happened to me. I had five different problems from the same root cause. Right. Mm. So when it comes to hormones, the big red flag that we see uh, it's a combination of not only estrogen dominance. So here's that, here's that scary profile. Woman is estrogen dominant. She's also estrogen toxic, mm-hmm. meaning that the metabolite that she's making, because before you clear that monthly cycle, it turns into either two, four or 16 hydroxy estrogen. Two is nice, clean stuff that you want Four, 16 are potent toxins, right? Step three of three, how well do you clear it? The same glutathione pathways and antioxidant pathways and methylation pathways we were talking about earlier also support this. So if you are that woman that has estrogen dominance, a lot of estrogen, estrogen toxicity, you know, that's what it turns into. And then you don't get rid of it. Okay. Now you have a whole other secondary toxic insult that you had to deal with that a lot of other people called men don't, right? (laughs) Called men. So, yeah. (laughs) So now given that profile, it still doesn't mean you're sick. When do you get sick? When you are like 85% of North American women on a birth control pill for 10 years, adding even more estrogen to that lot, right? Yeah. When you get near sort of menopause and someone recommends hormone therapy, which I'm not saying is good or bad. I'm saying the wrong one is good or bad. Mm -hmm. Like without precision, just random, here you go. Here's some estradiol, which you then just convert all of it into 4-hydroxy estrogen because of your pathway, right? Right. So none of that checking first. Or all the hormone disruptors and endocrine disruptors. If you if you are that woman who's of this profile, who's already on the teetering uh, teetering on the edge of too toxic, but not sick because your body's fighting it. Right. But once you get to menopause, you don't have a menstrual cycle anymore. Right. But you're still making that toxicity. Mm-hmm. Right. What does your body do when you don't have a menstrual cycle and there's estrogen toxins being produced still, even though there's no cycle? your body wants to protect your organs and your vasculature, your veins from getting inflamed. So it goes and stores it in fat. And where do women have fat? In the hips and in the breasts. Hips, no problem. Breasts, you have all these glands designed to deliver milk that were never designed. Like your your lungs and your gut, yes, first line defense. They were meant to be resilient and tough. This area, no. And you wonder why so many women At that age, that's when breast cancer happens, Hmm. right? Why then? But why not all women? Because I happen to have the profile that leads to this estrogen dominance, toxicity, bad clearance. And I happen to have made the wrong epigenetic choices of taking birth control pill, having Teflon coated frying pans on my food every day, spraying my counters down with chemicals that I didn't realize were hormone disruptors, 
you know, drinking water that's full of hormone disruption. So things like that, that, that takes you over the edge, then all of a sudden the inflammatory level goes to the point where why is breast cancer so prevalent? Why is Alzheimer's so prevalent in women? Why do 66% of women die on their first cardiovascular event with no previous warning sign? And for men, it's like a tiny blip compared to that. Wow. Right. Yeah. Why, why, why be let's unravel all this stuff. Let's get rid of those hormone disruptors and tune down the birth control pill to maybe a, a few nights as opposed to 10 years. Right. Right. Yeah. Or, you know, or find another way, whatever that is. Uh, think about which hormone replacement therapy you actually need. How do you intervene? Work with somebody like yourself to look at that map and see where do I actually fit when it comes to hormone replacement, you know, understand all this stuff. And then, then also understand that that disease, that tail end of the story was a choice, right? It was truly a choice, not knowingly, right. but the choices you made got you there. Yep. And it's very, very possible to know what those choices are to eliminate them Yep. and make the right choices and not ever have that problem. Right. right? Which and is super, sounds, again, yeah. that's like a super empowering piece of it where I feel like some of the questions I get asked about genetics is like, oh, they're going to tell me that like I'm prone to Alzheimer's or I'm going to get breast yeah. cancer. And I'm like, well, wait a second. Like a lot of it is information you can use to help prevent any of this stuff instead of looking at it. Like no genetic report is like a death sentence. It's like just giving yeah. you information. If anything, it should be more empowering on how to, you know, prevent or avoid these diseases. Right. That, and that's a perfect example of genetics versus functional genomics, which we're talking about. Genetics is still, unfortunately, you have an 80% chance of breast cancer because of some version of the BRCA gene. Right. And now you walk away, shoot, I have this in my family, mm -hmm. right? BRCA, breast cancer is in my genes. Yep. What does the BRCA gene actually do versus what we just described? What we just described functionally is why does breast cancer happen? Yep. If I know why, I know exactly what to do, but I want that information versus you have an 80% chance of breast cancer. Good luck. So why, why are they saying that? BRCA doesn't cause breast cancer. Even the doctors saying it don't realize that. They actually think this is a cause of breast cancer. BRCA is a tumor suppressing gene. When you have cancer, it's supposed to fix it. Mm. And if you have the bad version, you don't do a good job of repair. So in truthfulness, what we're saying is you have a greater risk of dying from cancer if you were to get it. Now let's deal with the, if you were to get it, because after this whole thing I described of why it happens, that's when BRCA is supposed to get to work. <laughs> they go fix the, the tumor, right? right? So right. forget about BRCA, forget about that risk propensity based stuff. Let's get into the functional why and just not have it. Let's, let's deal with the root cause. I love that. And that's, I think that's like the best piece of Jenna. And I feel like that's where it's just kind of changing people's perception of what it is that they're testing. Right. And like what information yeah. they're hoping to get from it. Yeah. People are just now starting to learn, just like they're learning that medicine is what's your problem? What pill can I give you? Mm -hmm. And functional medicine is why did you get the problem to begin with? Exactly. Right? Exactly. People are, yeah, now they're starting to realize that genetics has those same two paths also, right? There's the very pharma driven, what's your problem and let's mask it, right? Or like, let's use your genome to figure out what you do, what jobs your body does well, and what jobs your body doesn't do so well, and what problems will that lead to based on the choices you make? Yep. Which is, which is phenomenal. And I'm glad that you brought up um, the, menopausal stuff, because I feel like that's still one area of medicine that is really daunting for a lot of practitioners. It's like yeah. these women just feel terrible in menopause. Um, you know, it's like some women sail through menopause, they're totally fine. And then you've got other women who are just, let's say the majority miserable, gaining weight, you know, just not a lot of joy, all these different, and and what most people do then is throw um, hormones at them. And for some yeah. of the women, they feel great. And for others, it's like an endless tweaking of this would make you feel better. Okay. This didn't yeah. work this, you know, and, and so if the, if testing your genome can help with those women, I think that's just, I mean, that's 100%. So we just did 
I just had one of the most intimidating calls of my life. I was <laughs> last week on this Zoom call with 1,200 hormonal menopausal women. <laughs> Good luck. I don't even yeah. think I'd want to do that. <laughs> and it was me and some random guy with a beard showed up to tell them about their menopause. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, so, uh, and this is exactly it is there was a call put out by some clinician saying, Hey, do you understand the genetics? And there's so much pain that 1200 women showed up saying, yes, I need to know more because whatever I got so far, isn't doing anything for me. So, and you'll find that, um, genetics is kind of like how many billions of people there are on the planet, how many billion possibilities, but when it comes down to problems like menopause, autism, breast cancer, whatever you want to deal with, it comes down to really a few buckets that people fit in that are the problematic ones, right? And we learned, we didn't know we were going to learn this, but as we went through that hormone pathway that you talked about, like, you know, you convert hormones in a certain path yep. that women typically fit into one of six buckets. So we went from an infinite number of possibilities and we were treating everybody as you yourself yep. to now you fit in a bucket. So now we know that you're going to fit into one of these six. And these are the only two that really have an extreme menopause roller coaster. Mm. And here's why, right? And here's what to do about it. That's great. So if you, if you know that it's going to happen because of estrogen dominance and estrogen toxicity, then let's deal with that early. Right. Get you ready as opposed to hormones during, let's get you going into it at the right hormone levels with the right level of inflammation reduced really right. is what we're talking about. Right. Right. Um, so, and there's other examples like that. So all of a sudden you can be very precise about why the roller coaster happens, you know, why the weight gain happens, why nothing feels good, why nothing works and then target that target the why and menopause doesn't have to be horrible. It, it's, it's, you know, we've hundreds of women we've dealt with for this. And <laughs> um, I would say that the only area when it comes to female health, where you can't use the kind of insights that we're talking about to get better, to prevent or reverse is when it's an innate genetic condition, hmm. meaning a cancer that is genetically driven. You have a gene switch turned on that's cause you're getting it. Hmm. You have that problem. Is that right? a pretty small percentage or is that? Yes. And that's yeah. the whole point is that the United States has a $4 trillion healthcare budget. 90%, according to the CDC, is spent on chronic disease. Wow. So 3.6 trillion on stuff that we don't have to have that's absolutely preventable. Right. And of the 10% that's left, majority of that is acute care, like, you know, terminal conditions, broke my arm, whatever. It's like 1% or less, that's genetic conditions. So the wow. likelihood of that being your problem, very, very slim. Uh, there's a gentleman named Kevin Connors, who is a functional cancer doctor in the US, who tells us that he believes it's around three to 4% of cancers that people actually have cancer, like they, they it's happening, right? He said 96 to 97% were caused because of their epigenetic choices. Yep. Yeah, could have gone through life without and it's the same. I, I single out cancer, but it's the same for all of these endometriosis, fibromyalgia, infertility issues, rocky menopause, crazy yep. PMS, bad acne, hair on your chin, like you said, <laughs> yeah. all of that stuff, right, could be expressed in the way you want if you understood why it happens. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up too, because I feel like there are a lot of women who are like, well, my mom got breast cancer, my aunt got breast cancer, I'm going to get yep. breast cancer. And then of course that plays into the whole like mindset of it. Whereas like you think something's going to happen and probably will. I mean, it's a cool thing, yep. but, um, but to really scale it back and be like, ah, the majority of cancers really don't work like that. Right. It's yep. not like my mom got something. So therefore I'm going to get something like it's, yep. you guys might have a similar genetic, you know, picture, but again, there's like so much you can do to shift that. It's exactly, I just dealt with a mother and daughter family. The daughter uh, is early forties. The mother is, I think, early sixties from what I remember, uh, or late fifties, maybe even. And so um, cancer twice in the mother mm -hmm. and daughter uh, showing signs of crazy inflammation and worried, am I getting my mom's genetic cancer, right? Mm. <laughs> 
And what we found was exactly what we just described. Estrogen dominant, estrogen toxic, bad detox system. She took birth control pill for eight years mm. before the first cancer, which was a cervical cancer, Oof. right? She then was on hormone replacement therapy uh, for three years before the second cancer, which was breast cancer, where wow. she no longer had a menstrual cycle because she was menopausal, which is why it hit the breasts as opposed to the cervix. Right. Right. Wow. Same problem. And so her genetic problem wasn't cancer. Her genetic problem was estrogen dominance and estrogen toxicity, which the daughter also has, but now knows that she doesn't have cancer. She has wiring that is creating a, a terrain where cancer can flourish. Right. And what she needs to do is deal with the terrain. Yep. The estrogen toxicity, the estrogen dominance and the inflammation. Cancer is a, why did it happen to her mom in her fifties and not in her twenties? Because yeah. the body resilient and it'll fight for decade after decade after decade. Yeah. But by the time you get to 50, you've lost 50% of your mitochondria and your cells just aren't as strong and they can't right. fight back anymore. And all of a sudden you get past that tipping point a lot quicker and then things like cancer can flourish, right? right. So we were able to educate them, teach them. And now this daughter's on a path to preventing as opposed to just wondering and waiting. Yeah. You know? Um, so yeah, so for mo for the most part, that should be everybody's story. It, sh it should be about why and, and prevent. I love it. I mean, I think again, it's just changing the way that you are looking at things and how you gather information. And I mean, I don't know, some of the best parts about doing your genetic testing is like, you just do it one time. Yeah. <laughs> and there's your results. And then you can of course, continue to like tweak things as maybe like, right there's so much information in that report. Right. So it's like, maybe you weren't having sleep problems for the majority of your life, but then all of a sudden you're like, I'm having sleep problems. So I can maybe check back and see if there's some sort of pathway or something that maybe got activated or, right. you know, is, is showing itself now. Cause I'm not, you know, 20 anymore. Right. Or whatever yeah. that might be. Um, I guess maybe that's like the last piece I'd love to end on is, do you find that, cause sleep is another huge issue for people. Yeah. Um, do you find that, uh, the report can also help with that too? So sleep is a funny one because again, even though we think different, we still got stuck in the trap of thinking like genetic researchers where there's no genetics of sleep. That's right. what we believed. Right? right. Um, it's not a genetic condition. And so, but, but the funny thing that happened is people that were going through our programs where we were hands-on kind of coaching them. Yeah. Um, the number one thing that they were report back first was I'm sleeping better. Yeah. And after we heard that a few dozen times and then a few hundred times and a few thousand times, like, okay, what are we doing? Right. Right. You know? So we started to look at it and just like we do with everything else, we reinterpret the genome for the biological function of how sleep works. And this is what we learned. The genetics of sleep isn't, I can't sleep. It's, I can't fall asleep. Mm -hmm. I can't stay asleep or yep. I sleep through the night and I wake up not rested. Mm -hmm. There are three very different problems. And what are those three problems? The first one is circadian rhythm. Mm. My internal clock is broken. Right. So we already understood what those genes were. We just didn't contextualize them for sleep. Right. Right. So if, if you don't have the great version of the BDNF gene, brain drive neurotropic factor, and you don't have the great, in, in fact, it's actually called the clock gene, your clock, internal mm. clock gene, right? Um, then you are that person that if you're on your laptop until right before you fall asleep, or, you know, you're, you don't get vitamin D and sunlight in the morning and start your clock on time, or if you don't pause to breathe, to give your uh, brain the sense that a certain time is past, it's now afternoon, you know, you're, you need a lot more effort to coach that circadian rhythm clock along Yeah, yeah. and you need to stop things on time. Otherwise you're lying there on your mattress. Like I'm tired, but I can't sleep because right. the melatonin is not binding. Sleep hormones are not firing. You know, nothing's, nothing's been triggered, mm. right? Because of the circadian rhythm is broken. Second one, which is actually the biggest problem we found unintentionally um, we usually think of sleep as I can't fall asleep, but actually right. that's, that's a smaller problem than I can't stay asleep. Right. But there's most people that have sleep problems. If they really think about it, what, what's happening to them is they fall asleep on time. Mm -hmm. And then somewhere in the second half of their sleep, they start struggling mm. and they kind of wake up, they're dreaming, they're awake, they're dreaming, they're awake. So what's actually going on there 
is where melatonin is the hormone that puts you to sleep. Yeah. Serotonin is what wakes you up. Hmm. The, the amber glow of fire is what's supposed to trigger melatonin bindings. So our ancestors used to see fire at night mm. and then melatonin would start firing it would start being bound and that would put you to sleep that's why dim lights and amber glow those amber glasses you see are really important for people that can't fall asleep yeah right? yeah I love the, that. the light amber glow of sunlight coming through your window is what's supposed to trigger serotonin binding it's a different mm -hmm. color so now what happens if your serotonin is dysregulated your brain has a difficult time prioritizing stimulus Wow. And so in that second half where it knows, hey, this is the half where at some point I'm supposed to wake up. Let's wait for that sunlight. Any stimulus, which is it's too okay. hot, it's too cold. Hubby's pulling on the blanket. Oh, the <laughs> foot's too cold. Get away from me. Like all that stuff. The brain is waiting for a trigger to start pumping and binding serotonin to wake up. Mm. And it doesn't prioritize and wait for the right one. Wow. It's fascinating. Right? Yeah. And most people actually fit in this bucket. Okay including myself, by the way, I fixed my own sleep problems, which was partly why I had all these inflammatory conditions. I wasn't sleeping properly, right? Sure. Yeah. Third one is I sleep through the night, but I wake up not so rested has to do with environmental health, which affects everything, including sleep. Right. So there's how many people have we had to coach through? Oh, the day you stopped sleeping properly was when you changed your mattress. What kind mm -hmm. of mattress did you get? Oh, a memory foam mattress where every mm -hmm. time you roll over, you're popping little air bubbles of gas and off gassing and breathing it which yeah. is during the time that you're sleeping where your body actually detoxifies glymphatic drainage of the brain, lymphatic drainage, glutathione, all that stuff is clearing, getting rid of the garbage from the day before you're adding a whole other load right. from that toxic mattress and your memory foam pillow and your dry cleaning and your whatever stuff you're breathing in. Right. Mm -hmm. And what's coming through your vents, all the nice, beautiful smells that you sprayed to make your house smell so nice, like you're breathing right. all that in. Right. So, that whole, and there's other things, you know, pesticides, yeah. whatever, but this environmental load causes people not to get the recovery they were meant to get during their sleep. And so they wake up feeling not rested. It makes so much sense. And that stay asleep one, I think, yeah, that is the one that most patients really do complain about. Right. I mean, that yeah. makes a ton of sense. Yeah. And you'll also find <clears throat> it's this double whammy of people that are serotonin dysregulated are typically highly detail oriented mm. because they're so sensitive to stimulus. So even in their work, they're crossing every T dotting every I because they just notice everything. Right. So they're usually like higher performing people. Yeah. And you see this correlation with high performing lawyers, clinicians, you know, business people that can't sleep at night, all these successful people can't sleep because the same thing that's driving their success is driving their inability to ignore stimulus and sleep properly. Wow. Totally makes sense. And they're also the per self-perceived like light sleepers, right? Like, oh, I just yeah. hear everything and I'm always, yeah. yeah. And their nervous system, it's just like, it can't ever, but then they're not sleeping. So then their nervous system really can't ever yeah. <laughs> fully relax. Right. So it's like this double-edged sword again. Yeah. And, the, and then the solution isn't take a melatonin supplement because that's only for the first half. Right, right, exactly. The solution is take a serotonin supplement and build that perfect sleep cocoon. There's zero light leakage, there's zero noise, perfect temperature. You probably have a separate blanket from whoever you're lying next to. Yeah. You know, everything is perfect for you. Otherwise, you're not going to sleep properly. Totally. And blocking out all of that. That's where those little like, I'm one of those people when I go in a hotel room, I've got like, my, <laughs> like blocking out all like the little lights and stuff like that, because it's yeah. true. It's like all that stimulation. I mean, I, I've always noticed I sleep way better with like a mask over my eyes. Oh, for than, sure. yeah. yeah. Like getting that pitch black. So cool. All right. So tell us where can people, I think we'll have a link or a code or something. Um, I don't remember what it is off the top of my head, but I will make <laughs> sure that that's linked in the show notes for sure. We'll get that all set up for you guys. And then, um, but you guys are, you guys are like on social media and stuff too, right? Where can people find you? Yeah. I mean, if they want to hear more sort of stories and anecdotes like this, um, my personal Instagram is K-A-S-H cash con K-A-S-H-K-H-A-N official. And that's where we post the majority of stuff because it's usually me at events, conferences, whatever, yeah. learning, sharing, right? Um, 
there's a blog on the website where you can learn more sort of anecdotal stories like this. Um, and yeah, follow we're, we're everywhere. We're at conferences all over the place, a lot of medical summits trying to help really our job. Yes, we sell DNA tests, but 80% of our time is just this, like just helping people learn. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a huge, I mean, there's so much to learn about it. It's, yeah. it's like one of those fields where, um, I was like, yeah, I have no interest in learning about genetics. It just seemed way too daunting to me. And then I said, I heard Monsoor give his talk in uh, Vancouver. And I was like, all right, this is, <laughs> this is the direction I'm going to go. It makes the most sense. This is the report that I'll recommend for my patients, you know, cause yeah. a lot of them come in with their like 23 and me's or there. And I'm like, I don't know what's happening here, but your yeah. report is super user-friendly. It's something that the patients can spend a lot of time going through. And, um, and then it, it's really a lot easier for us to navigate them too and help yeah. them. Well, thank you. That's very kind. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to show you offline. We'll show you the new stuff because it's, we've taken that theme of genetics has two problems. <laughs> it wasn't actionable. It was all about the genes as opposed to the body. Right. The other thing is it was, it was too hard to use. Like you had to, yeah. a, a giant stack of paper with a bunch of gibberish that nobody understands versus migraines, keto diet, you know, hormone, like things I understand that I can apply. So we've tried to as much as possible, make it super easy to use and speak to the problems more than we speak to the genes. And we find that people are really thriving with that. I love it. I think that's perfect. So thank you so much, Kasha, for being on today. It was oh, a pleasure. An enlightening conversation. I love talking about this stuff. Yeah, and uh, we'll link everything in the show notes. Awesome. The statements in this podcast have not been evaluated by the FDA. Information provided here and products recommended or sold on coffeewiththedocs.com and or our podcast are not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. The information provided by the site and or by this podcast is not a substitute for a face-to-face -face consultation with your physician and should not be construed as medical advice of any sort. By using any of this information or reading it, you are accepting responsibility for your own health and health decisions and expressly release Dr. Nicole Huffman and Dr. Abby Kramer and its partners and guests from any and all liability whatsoever, including that arising from negligence.